Um, the scripture reading comes from Exodus 19, Leviticus 18, and 1 Corinthians 6. Exodus 19, 4-6. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. Leviticus 18, 1-6, verse 22. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, I am the Lord your God. You shall not do as they do in the land of Egypt, where you lived, and you shall not do as they do in the land of Canaan, to which I am bringing you. You shall not walk in their statutes. You shall follow my rules and keep my statutes and walk in them. I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my rules. If a person does them, he shall live by them. I am the Lord. None of you shall approach any one of his close relatives to uncover nakedness. I am the Lord. You shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. 1 Corinthians 6, 9-11 Or do you not know that the unrighteous, the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Amen. Thank you, Susie. And thank you all for being here. My name is John Trapp, I'm the campus minister here for RUF at Texas. Uh, if this is your first time being here, a particular welcome to you. So glad that you would come out in this rain and, um, and check out RUF. Um, so tonight, if this is your first night, when you came on a fun night. We're talking about sex tonight. Um, I remember the first, uh, well, when we had the sex talk, or kind of began the sex talk with one of our kids uh, for the first time, and uh, Christy and I finished talking to them, and their, their response was, wow, that is interesting and surprising. <laughs> like, yes, it is. Th- those are two great adjectives to describe sex, interesting and surprising. And because of that, um, we as humans, we're captivated by this gift that God has given us. But like any, any gift that God gives us, we misuse it. Uh, and this is really important for you to hear tonight, particularly if this is your first time here. At RUF, we believe that all of us, every single one of us, including the person standing before you tonight, need God's grace because every single one of us misuse the gifts that he gives us, including me. Especially me. All of us are sinners. So there's no one here tonight who is intrinsically better than others. And there's no one here who is excluded from being able to experience and receive God's grace. What I want you to see is that by the end of the night is that God saves all kinds of people with all kinds of struggles. And we've been going through um, this the beginning of the semester. We're kind of nearing the end of our study of this book called Leviticus. And one of the reasons that I wanted to study this book with you guys is Leviticus is one of the books of the Bible that I think um, is a reason that non-believers point to and say, like, how can we believe in Christianity if this is in your Bible? If this is part of your holy text, how can you possibly be a Christian, particularly 
And I would say one of the first verses that they would point to is Leviticus 18, verse 22, what Susie read to us, uh, which particularly pertains to homosexuality. And for someone to ask the question, how can you, how can this be in your Bible and you be a Christian? I have a couple thoughts about that. First, I think it's a really good question. It's a really good question, question that demands a thoughtful response. Um, and, and I'll tell you all this. Look, I am, I am an imperfect person talking about a controversial issue tonight. Um, and so here's my request. If I, if I say something tonight that offends you, please, um, would you please be willing to come and talk to me about it? I'll hang around afterwards, or we can go get donuts or coffee or whatever you like and talk about it. And I would love to listen to your thoughts about it. Um, and because I'm a sinner trying to do this, I, please give me the, give me the freedom um, to kind of stumble through this as, a, as, we try to, as we try to teach and learn together. Um, and second, I don't, I don't know who all is in the room tonight, um, but it's been, a, it's been a privilege for, for RUF to have members of the LGBTQ community participate in our ministry over the years. And it's been a particular privilege for me to pastor individuals from that community. It's something that I really love to do. And so if that's you tonight, or, or if um, maybe you're like me, you have people in your family who are part of that community. Um, I, I, or maybe you have friends who are part of that community. I think, I think the issue of homosexuality touches all of our lives in some form or fashion. Um, and if that's you, or if you have friends um, or family who would be included in that community, I want to say, like, I'm really sorry for the pain that you or your friends may have experienced at the hands of Christians. And I just want to say that as a pastor and as a Christian, that I'm, I'm really sorry for the pain that people from the LGBTQ community have experienced from Christians. And, and I just appreciate you even giving this a shot and being here tonight. Um, please also hear tonight that as I try to, I'm going to try to faithfully unpack these words that God has given to us. And I really do believe that he's given them to us because he loves us. I really do believe that. Um, and look, I, I was at, at first I was going to kind of do a big talk about like human sexuality at large with this passage. And I, the more I planned it and um, studied this, um, I've, I've done a talk on that a couple years ago. And I've had so many questions about the issue of homosexuality recently. I, we're going to kind of focus on that issue tonight. Um, but every single one of us um, stands in this room or sits in this room. Um, as someone who has experienced sexual brokenness. The room is filled with all kinds of sexual brokenness tonight. And I want to acknowledge that. And the reason I know that is because I know that I'm in the room. And I'm filled with all kinds of sexual brokenness. And so I, I don't speak to you as somebody from um, uh, who's, got it figured, who's got it all figured out and has never struggled. I, I, I speak to you tonight as a co-struggler. Um... But I want you to see in this, in this word that we're going to study that there is a God who is willing to meet us in the struggle because he loves us. And I want y'all to know that because I love you guys. So let me pray for us. Father, I pray now that the words of my mouth 
and that the thoughts of our hearts would be pleasing to you and that you would meet us in our thoughts and in our hearts. And we pray that you would open our eyes to receive and understand what your word would have to say to us. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. In order to get this, like this law and why it's given to Israel, it's really important to understand the context of this law. Like, why is this coming to Israel in this moment? And it's really important because if you look at Exodus 19, um, you'll see this, this is something that is said to Israel before any law is ever given to them. So there's a context that says it's true about Israel before they ever get any law. Look at Exodus 19. This is what God says to his people. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you out on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. So what is God reminding them? Listen, before you have ever been given any law, I've rescued you. God didn't first give his people the Ten Commandments and say, you need to start doing these things. Start obeying me. And then I'll rescue you. Then I'll save you. The pattern throughout the whole Bible is that God rescues people first and then he gives them the law. The law always comes in the context of a relationship. This is super important and we reverse it all the time. Like we think that we get the relationship by doing the law, but here's the thing, none of us want a relationship like that. Like if, if you went to someone um, and asked, hey, do you want to be roommates next year? Which by the way, if you're asking people that already now, like you should have done it earlier. Or like ask them tonight, okay? Because like the real estate market in Austin is a nightmare. And like some of you people are freshmen and you know where you're living your senior year. And that just stresses me out that you had to figure that out. That's insane to me. But if, if you were to go to someone and say, hey, would you like to be my roommate? And how would you feel about being this person's roommate if they said, hmm, I'm going to think about that, but here's, what's, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to come over every day and do a room inspection and see what your room looks like. And if you'll keep your room clean for the next month, then I'll be your roommate. What would, what would happen in your head about being that person's roommate? Or in a way, like, don't, do not live with this person. You don't want, and maybe somebody would be like, I should have done that with my roommate. That would have been a great plan. But you don't want, you don't want a relationship that's going to be based on your obedience. But here's the thing, once you're living with someone and your roommate says, hey, would you mind like kind of like tidying up your room before you leave? That'd be nice. That's an okay thing for them to ask. Why? Because you're already in the relationship. There's already been a relationship established. Or if I had, when I, when I got down on a knee and asked Chrissy to marry me, if I, if I said, Chrissy, please, will you marry me? She said, okay, here's the deal. Come over to my house for the next six months and take out my trash every week, and then we'll talk. That, y'all would be like, do not marry that person. Like, what, like... If she's going to decide to marry you based on your law abiding, get up, get away. Right. But guess what I do every single week at our house? I'm the garbage man. I have a couple of jobs. Garbage, fingernails, bathtub. That's my job. I do that. And hairbrushing. Because apparently I'm not very gentle at my kids all have tender heads, so I need to work on that. But like I I now try to abide by rules. 
rules in our house. Why? Because I'm in the relationship already. I don't live the law in order to get the relationship. And that's not the kind of relationship you want either. And here's the key. This law is given in the context of a relationship. Did you see? Look at Leviticus 18 again. Look at verses 1 through 5. Before God ever starts talking about their sex life. Because the whole rest of of chapter 18 is about their sex life. Most of it is about not having incest. I didn't include all of that. But like verse 6 through like verse 19 is about all the different people you should not have incest with. Which, by the way, the, who, the person that that's protecting are the children and the women. And God had all kinds of rules about not doing that. And the reason he told them not to do that is because he said, he's saying, you're going to be different from all the nations around you who do this. You're going to take care of children and women in your community. But before he starts giving them any laws about that, this is what he says. He says it three times. I'm the Lord your God. I am the Lord your God. I am the Lord your God. What he is making very clear to them is that this law that's coming to them, it's, y'all, it's in the context of a relationship. And that's so important. We'll, we'll come back to that in a second. But I'll, I also want to talk about this, this law that he gives them in verse 22 because it's, it is a law that if, if you're talking to a friend who's not a Christian, or maybe you are a Christian and you're like, I don't know what to do with this. This is a place where we go often and like, what do I do with this verse? And first I want to, to note the clarity of the Bible's stance regarding homosexuality. Um, a common objection to this passage in Leviticus 18, 22 is, you know, you flip this, it says, you shall not lie with, ma- with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. But then you flip like a page over and it's talking about like, you shall not wear cloth that's weaved together with other kinds of cloth. So like, okay, no poly cotton blends. And like, don't eat pork. And so like your friend who's maybe not a Christian is like, okay, so like you're just picking and choosing stuff because you're wearing Lululemon pants and eating bacon right now. But you're saying, you're making this stance about homosexuality, so like you're not consistent. And I would love some little limit pants, by the way. If anyone has 34 in your size 34, just want to get rid of them. Let me know. Um, it used to be size 32, size 34. All right. So the here's the thing, and and if you want to know more about like the poly cotton blend thing or the food thing, like we kind of preached on that the last couple weeks. You can go back and listen to, like, listen to the podcast or talk to a friend who took notes. Um, but the cliff note version of that, my explanation of that would be like, all that, we've, all that we kept coming back to over and over again is that all of these laws were pointing to and were fulfilled by Jesus. Jesus made his people ceremonially clean. And, and all the New Testament writers, especially parts of like the book of Hebrews, are making it very clear that these ceremonial laws were, were pointing to Jesus, who would make us ultimately clean before the throne of God. But the New Testament then is also clear, just, as like, just like it's clear that we no longer need to, to perform some of these laws as Christians, it's also clear about homosexual practice. And that's why I have 1 Corinthians 6. Um, printed here. Paul actually uses the exact same Greek wording in 1 Corinthians 6 that's used in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, which is called the Septuagint in Leviticus 18. He uses the same words. 
to condemn it and to say this is not something that God wants. Maybe you're, look, there are all kinds of responses to, that, to, to this issue. One common one that I get is this, what if somebody is born that way? And I think the, I think the Bible has space for that, it really does. The Bible is actually clear on this, that since the fall, it is expected for people to have complicated sexual predispositions. That that is, it's the expectation. One example, Matthew 19, Jesus talks about a group of people with with complicated sexual predispositions, eunuchs. And as he talks about them, this is what he says, he says, Some of them were born that way, some of them were made that way, and some intentionally chose to be that way. But the question for Jesus isn't so much whether or not this condition was um, a reality at birth. The question for Jesus and the question that the Bible is asking is, what does it look like, given that reality, to follow Jesus? Given that predisposition to be true, what does it look like then to follow Jesus? That's the question that the Bible is asking. Um, a theologian has been really helpful for me, and, and just so y'all know, I'm citing my sources too, I'm getting help with this sermon from, from other pastors like Sammy Rhodes and Les Newsom and Kevin DeYoung. But a, a book that, um, that they refer to in their sermons and that I actually read in seminary is a book by a guy named Mark Yarhouse. Uh, it's a great book. It, it's called Homosexuality and Christianity. And um, one of the things that he kind of um, talks about is that there's, there's, when you're thinking about homosexuality, it's, it's, it's really a spectrum um, in terms of attraction that people experience. And um, he says one way to think about it is that there, there's some people who experience attraction to members of the same sex. There's also people who experience... who the majority of the time experience attraction to members of the same sex. You could say they have an orientation towards that attraction. So you have people who may be attracted sometimes, not all the time. You have people who are kind of oriented towards being attracted most of the time. And then you have people who identify as gay. And here is what he, Yarnhouse observes our culture has done is what our culture has done is it has equated attraction with identity. It said that if you're if you experience attraction to people of the same sex, that means that you're gay. That means not only that you're gay, but that you need to pursue a gay lifestyle, that you need to pursue homosexual activity. And for the Christian who experiences Attraction, or even for the Christian, like friends of mine who are Christians who experience orientation towards homosexuality, their identity is not found in being gay. Their identity is found in Jesus Christ. And because of that, some of these men and women who honestly, like they are, they are my heroes. Because they have a relationship with Jesus, they listen to his law and do not practice what they feel oriented towards practicing. Not in order to get God's love, 
but because they're already in a relationship with you. The law always follows relationship. It's key. Don't forget that. Listen to what um, an author named Rosaria Butterfield says. So just to give you a little bit of context about who she is, Rosaria Butterfield is a tenured professor at Syracuse University. Um, Her field of study was women's studies with a focus on feminist theory and queer theory. And she, uh, as, as a research project that she was doing at Syracuse, she started interviewing pastors, evangelical pastors, to understand what do Christians think about the issues of homosexuality. And she became friends with this Presbyterian minister and his wife. And they started having her over to their house all the time. And they just became buddies. But through that friendship, she actually began to meet Jesus. And she wrote a book entitled The Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert. And as she reflects on the issues surrounding um, our culture's claim that attraction and desire equal identity, so like if you experience this kind of attraction, that means that this is the identity that you need to live into. Listen to what she says. Stepping into God's story means abandoning a deeply held desire to make meaning of our own lives on our own terms, based on the preciousness of our own feelings. Stepping into God's story means abandoning a deeply held desire to make meaning of our lives on our own terms, based on the preciousness of our own feelings. This woman who began following Jesus whose life was really completely turned upside down because of this unlikely conversion. What she says is because she has stepped into God's story and this relationship of a God who was pursuing her when she was not looking for him, who came with his grace and his love and his kindness, because this God is both her maker and her savior, She's willing to surrender desires that he has told us in his word that we should not follow. And this call is not just for somebody who's gay, by the way. God calls us to to surrender all kinds of desires and things that we would put before him. The ways that we idolize money and power and success and beauty. But what we see the Bible say is that this call is for anyone following Jesus. And the Bible is clear that God does not want his people practicing homosexuality. But listen to me. This does not give, please listen to this, this does not give a Christian any reason to ever be hateful towards somebody who's gay. Ever, ever, ever. No reason to. Um, like the signs, those horrible signs that you see claiming that God hates certain people. Though there's no reason that we should ever hold a sign like that. I remember being, when I was a youth pastor, we were on a ski trip and uh, we had like our Bible study or whatever, and there's a group of like ninth grade boys who just been kind of like yucking it up and like trying to do a small group with them and they're like not paying attention at all but they're trying to like one of them they're trying to like um, just kind of rally, rally each other up 
And I'm like, I get to the end, and I think, we weren't even talking about this issue. And I, and I said, all right, you guys have any, any questions? And one of the boys raises his, head, raises his hands, and he says, when are, yeah, John, when are Christians just going to round up all these gay people and get rid of them? That's what he asked me in Bible study. And then, I, honestly, I'm sad that he even thought it was okay to ask that question in that context. And I want you to consider his logic applied to this passage in 1 Corinthians 6 that I printed out for you. Look at this. Look at 1 Corinthians 6. And this is basically what I told him. Listen, if we're going to round up them and get rid of them, that means we also have to round up, look at verse 9, people who are sexually immoral, people who are idolaters, people who are adulterers, and then get this. Maybe you're like, "Mm, I'm not so bad at those. You are, but keep reading nor the greedy, nor the drunkards, nor the revilers, nor swindlers. They will not inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 9 tells us. Christians, do you see how hypocritical we can be? To point at one person's sin struggle and say, that's the one that keeps you from being able to get into heaven. We need to round you up and get you out of here because that's the big bad sin. What does Paul do? He just puts that quote-unquote big bad sin in a big long list of sins that every single one of us struggles with. Don't we? Um, Maybe you guys aren't greedy. I am, right? We all struggle with this. Maybe you guys like never struggle with like the way that you use alcohol. I do. Like, this is here to tell us, it's here to tell us that all of us are co-strugglers. But here's the crazy good part. Look closer at 1 Corinthians 6. Look at what he says after he gives this big long list of people who on their own cannot enter the kingdom of God. Look at verse 11. And such were some of you. Well, let's see some critical thinking here. What is he saying? He's writing to the church. He's writing to Christians. And he's saying, some of you are drunkards. Some of you are really greedy. Some of you were practicing homosexuality. But do you know what's true about all of you? Verse 11, you were washed. You were sanctified. You are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. We have no reason to judge because we're co-strugglers who've been welcomed in by a God of grace. So what's the motivation for abiding by this law that God gives It's always, always, always the motivations of God who loved us while we were still sinners. And I want you to consider, because look, I I know that there's people here who struggle with all kinds of things. I am sure that there's people here who have homosexual desires. I am sure that there are people here who have all kinds of sexual sin that you're ashamed of. I need you to see the way that God deals with people who struggle. 
There's, I'll, I'll use one example. And if you want to know what, you want to know what God's like. First, or the first words of the book of Hebrews says, "Look at Jesus. He's the exact imprint of the glory of God." They're not two separate gods. It's not like Old Testament gods kind of mean and need to chill out a little bit. Jesus is cool and a hippie, and we like him. They're the same God. Do you want to know what God is like? Look at Jesus. John chapter 8. There's a woman who's caught in adultery. And all of these hypocritical, moralistic, religious people grab her and they bring her and they throw her at Jesus' feet. In verse 5, they say, Now in the law, we're talking about Leviticus. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. What do you say? We should do. Here's what they want. They want judgment. They want to see her punished. And they also want to trap Jesus. So they can say, hey, look, he punished her, see, he's not that great. Or they want to see Jesus not punish her, so they can be like, he doesn't follow the law of God. They're doing this to test him. The, the passage goes on. This they said to test him that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground, oh, I wish that I knew what he wrote. Maybe he was writing greedy, sexually immoral, drunkards, revilers, a list, something like the one Paul gave, but we don't know. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And what do they do? They all leave. But you know what? There actually is somebody in that crowd who's without sin, and he doesn't leave. It's Jesus. God in the flesh. And you know what God is like with people who struggle? With people who are sexually broken? Do you know what he does with them? Jesus looks at this woman who is, she's, it says they caught her in adultery. It's not, they didn't catch her after she had done it. She got caught in adultery. Someone pulled her out of the bedroom and brought her and threw her before Jesus' feet. She's in the moment of her greatest shame. And Jesus looks at her. God in the flesh. Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. That's God, the God of grace, who looks at us and meets us in the parts and places of our life where we would never imagine that he would come here, and he does. But then you know what he says, the last thing he says to her? There's no one here to condemn you. Now, go and sin no more. Did you hear that? He says, neither, I, neither do I condemn you. Now, go and sin no more. Here it is. This is it. This is the pattern. Relationship. I don't condemn you. I love you. We're together. Now, so what? Go and sin no more. Law. Law. The law didn't come before. He didn't say, stop sinning. Don't, don't sin anymore. Then I won't condemn you. He says, go and sin no more. After he gives for the grace. And this is what God does for us. He gives us his law because he knows even when we may not understand 
And look, there's parts of the Bible and there's parts of God's law, and I don't know why he asks us to do it sometimes. And I went to seminary and studied this for four years, and I don't always know. But I think he's good. I think he's demonstrated that he is for us. Because he went to the cross for us, for people who had rejected him and didn't want any part of him so that we can be reconciled to him. And he gives us his law because he knows it's the best way we will flourish. And he also gives us the law. I want you to think about this. Our law abiding gives a powerful witness to who Jesus is. There's a, a great book called Messy Grace. Messy Grace is the title of the book. Set the title. How a pastor with gay parents learned to love others without sacrificing conviction. It's, it's by this guy named Casey Kaltenbach. He was raised by lesbian mothers who loved him very well. He grew up in the LGBTQ community. Around all of his parents' friends were part of that community. He went to a Bible study in high school because he hated Christians. He wanted to prove that Christianity was not real, and he became a Christian in the Bible study. And um, his, his mom ended up becoming Christian too. Sorry, spoiler alert. But the book's great. You should read it. But here's one of the things he says in the book. Jesus did not die on the cross to create a little country club where we could have weekly gatherings, pat ourselves on the back for our good behavior while hiding our bad behavior, and meet in clusters during the week but do nothing to reach out to the community. That's not the kind of church Jesus wants to build here on earth. You see, the way that people are going to know who God is is through his people, and that's what God's doing with the people in Leviticus. He's sending them, this is important, he's sending them to the most populated, most diverse place on the planet, Canaan. And he's going to put them in the middle of these people, and he says in Leviticus 18, don't live like them. You're going to live different, but here's why you're going to do it. Not to earn my love. You've already got my love. You're going to live differently because they're going to look at you and they're going to to come to know me because you're living differently. Now, I don't care what your struggle is, but one of the ways that people are going to, like Christians, I want you to listen to me, one of the ways that your friends are, are going to know who Jesus is is through the way that you live your life the way that you're kind of different. I mean, Israel was supposed to go to Canaan and live like way different from everyone else. And it was going to be hard and painful and difficult. But that's one of the ways that we bear witness to a watching world about the good news of Jesus. He's called us to do that. He's called you to do that. You live in like Texas's version of Canaan. You do. This is the most densely populated, most diverse place in this day. It's right here. Like, maybe, like, literally, like, we're, like, the next seven. It's, like, West Campus is all around. It's, like, right, this is it. You're here to be a light. What is he saying to Israel in Exodus 19? He says, I'm going to make, you're my treasure possession relationship. So what? You're going to be a kingdom of priests. What does a priest do? Represents God to other people. You are going to go out into this world. You're going to show them what I'm like by the way that you live. Not because you're awesome, but because you need a good God, a gracious God. Okay, I'm going to land this puppy. But before I do, 
All I want to say is this. It is totally okay if you don't agree with what I said. I would love to have a conversation with you about it. Without judgment, freedom to talk about this. Because this is an issue that all of us are going to deal with. Every single one of us. And your kids are going to deal with it. My kids are dealing with it like now, and they're in the third grade. Like, it touches their classroom now, this issue. And your kids will one day too. Your family's will. And I want you to, I, I want to help you all walk through this together. This is a safe place to figure that out. Because God is a God who welcomes us in our struggle to figure out how to follow Him. He really does. Because He's good. He loves us. Let me pray. Father, thanks so much for these students and for a chance um, to open your word with them. Um, Lord, I pray that you give us humility um, to listen to you and the courage to ask questions and to struggle and wrestle with you. We thank you that you're a God who even wrestled with, um, with Jacob and that you welcome us to wrestle with you too. Um, Father, I pray that now as we worship you, um, that you would form us to be more and more like your son, Jesus. Um, and we pray and ask all this in his name. Amen. Let's stand and sing one more song.